Well, it is a gift to be back in this sacred space and back with you after starting the year with COVID. That is not quite what I had in mind for 2022, Um, but I am grateful for the staff, for all of their support and the ways that they have stepped in over the past couple of weeks. I'm especially grateful to Jim England, who jumped in to preach for me last Sunday. I think I can speak on behalf of all of our pastors when I say that Jim is the pastor's pastor, and Jim, we are especially grateful for you. Well, this morning, our gospel lesson is from John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother said to him, they don't have any wine. But Jesus replied, woman, what does that have to do with me? My time hasn't come yet. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And nearby, there were six stone water jars used for the Jewish cleansing ritual, each able to hold about 20 or 30 gallons. So Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some water from them and take it to the head waiter. And they did. And the head waiter tasted the water that it had become wine. He didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the groom and said, everyone serves the good wine first. They bring out the second-rate wine only when the guests are drinking freely. But you, you kept the good wine until now. This was the first miraculous sign that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And so now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth May the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want you to imagine with me this morning that you are sitting down to have a meal at a nice restaurant. You're excited to eat here. You've been looking forward to it all day. Except when you receive your food, it it tastes nothing like what you had expected. Maybe they gave you the wrong dish, something totally different than what you had ordered. Maybe it appears to be undercooked, or at least not cooked in the way that you had asked. Maybe you just don't like it. And you look around at others who are clearly enjoying their meal while you begin to have this internal conversation of what do you do from here? Do you send your food back or not? Now, on one hand, you're paying for this meal, right? It's not cheap. 
You've been looking forward to this meal all day long, and you, you just want to enjoy it, right? Or you expect your order to be correct, or at the very least, you expect it to be edible. But on the other hand, you don't want to cause a scene. Maybe you're on a date and don't want to appear to be high maintenance. Or you're with family and friends and just don't want to make a big deal in front of everyone. After all, we know that restaurants are already short-staffed right now, and it's not your waiter's fault that the meal turned out this way. You can tell that they are already stressed, and you don't want to contribute to that. But the longer you wait, continuing to have this back-and-forth dialogue in your mind, the more awkward the situation becomes, until finally someone else at the table notices that you're not eating. And they say, Mary Alice, is everything okay? Is something wrong with your food? And so the question becomes, what do you do then? Do you send your meal back or not? I'll admit, I'm the kind of person who rarely sends food back. Whatever it is, I will just eat it, okay? I mean, maybe if it is not, maybe not if it's undercooked, (laughs) or if I don't really like it, I will just pretend like I'm eating it. (laughs) But I'm the person who doesn't want to cause a fuss, doesn't want to cause a scene. I don't want to be that person, But I know that there are just as many people who will absolutely send it back because they are not satisfied. And in today's gospel reading, Jesus' mother, Mary, is one of those people who just isn't satisfied with the way things are going at the banquet. She's at this wedding party with Jesus and some of his disciples. And halfway through the night, Mary notices that the wine has already run out at the party. Now, this might be a disappointment at a modern day event, but in the ancient world, it would have been a disgrace. Wedding feast actually lasted for days And it was the responsibility of the host to make sure that there was always an abundance of food and drink for all of the guests to last through all of the wedding festivities. And so to run out of wine early would have been a dishonor to this sacred custom, a break in this practice of hospitality that people would have been talking about for days and years to come. And Mary knew that. (laughs) And so when she notices what's going on, when she notices there's no more wine, she thinks to herself, I bet my son could do something about this. (laughs) I mean, he's the son of God. He can do just about anything, right? Surely he can fix this. So she goes up to him and says, hey, Jesus, have you noticed they've run out of wine? (laughs) You can do something about this, right? But the surprising thing that happens here is that Jesus kind of snubs his own mother. (laughs) He says, Mom, that's not our problem to deal with. (laughs) Let's not make a scene. Really, it will be okay. (laughs) We don't know why Jesus responds in this way. What we do know is that he has never performed a public miracle before. 
At this point in his journey, nobody else knows about Jesus' secret superpowers. Maybe he knows that his countdown clock to crucifixion will begin ticking as soon as he makes his identity known. Or maybe he thinks he should do something better than making wine at a party for his first miracle. (laughs) I mean, shouldn't he go heal someone first? Or at least go a walk on water or calm a storm? That would be pretty cool. Maybe he's just having fun with his friends at the wedding and doesn't want to be interrupted by his mother. (laughs) But whatever the case, all we see is that Jesus really isn't interested in doing anything about the wine problem at the party. And so he tells his mom that this really isn't their problem to deal with. But Mary still is not satisfied. And so she grabs a few servants, points to Jesus, and says, Do whatever he tells you to do. (laughs) I can just imagine her giving Jesus the, You need to do something about this look. (laughs) The look that only a mother could give her son. Until finally, Jesus jumps into action. He tells the servants to fill up the jars with water, and moments later, the party is overflowing with wine. You know, we always pay attention to Jesus in this story. And I mean, I get why. He's a pretty good person to pay attention to. (laughs) But for some reason, Mary caught my attention this time. One of my favorite Bible scholars, Debbie Thomas, says... I admire the fact that Mary doesn't wait to hear specifics about Jesus' plan. She doesn't pretend to know the details. She simply communicates her long-standing trust in Jesus' loving, generous character and invites the servants to practice minute-by-minute obedience that alone makes faith possible. She goes on to point out that the servants' task here isn't easy, After all, there's no running water in the ancient world, and those stone jars are pretty huge. It would have taken them multiple trips to the well and a good deal of arm strength and some hefty determination to go fill them all the way up with 20 or 30 gallons of water. And for what purpose? (laughs) I mean, I wonder what in the world they must have been thinking. But perhaps it's Mary's faith in her son that helps the servants persevere when they feel bewildered and ridiculous. And so Thomas points out that Mary acts here as a catalyst, a turning point for potential into action. She lays the groundwork for Jesus's instructions. She fosters a faith-filled atmosphere that becomes contagious She instills wonder in those around her, and she ushers in a miracle. You see, ultimately, it's Mary who is willing to say, no, I'm not satisfied with what's going on here, because we can do better than this, and you know it, Jesus. And somehow, through her courage her persistence, or even her downright stubbornness, Mary helps to usher in the very first miracle. 
We've shared throughout worship that it is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, and King, too, was always willing to speak up in a world in which he was not satisfied, in a world in which he knew we could do better than this. He shared in his famous I Have a Dream speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial that there are those who are asking the devotees of the civil rights movement, when will you be satisfied? And he went on to say, we can never be satisfied as long as the black person is the victim of unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied as long as our bodies, heavy with fatigue of travel, cannot even gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We can never be satisfied as long as the black person's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating, for whites only. We can never be satisfied so long as the black man in Mississippi cannot vote and the black woman in New York believes she has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied, and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. King spoke these words almost 60 years ago, and yet I can't help but wonder all these years later how King might feel today. His words alongside this gospel text have been quite convicting to me this week because they force me to ask the question, how often do I settle for what it means to be satisfied? How often do I settle with what society is serving me to eat because I don't want to disrupt the status quo? Because I don't want to cause a scene. After all, they're doing the best they can. They've got enough problems to deal with back there in the kitchen. How often do I overlook the undercooked meat that is being served right here in our city and simply look the other way because I don't want to make anyone upset? How often do I settle when the order I've been given is wrong? I know it isn't right. I know this isn't the way things ought to be, but I just don't have the courage to speak up and do anything about it. Friends, how often do you and I simply settle for unjust circumstances instead of crying out, no, no, we are not satisfied. And just how undercooked does our meat have to be in order for us to speak up and make a change? I mean, are we satisfied that right here in Louisville, more than two in five black children live in poverty? That a black child in Louisville is nearly four times as likely to be living in poverty as a white child? Are we satisfied that 2021 was another record-breaking year of homicides here in our beloved city? 
Are we satisfied that suicide is the second leading cause of death among our young people and that our LGBTQ youth are four times more likely to consider suicide as their peers? The CDC director shared on Good Morning America this week that in a recent study on the effects of the Omicron variant of COVID-19, 75% of people who died from this disease had other underlying health conditions. She said these people were really unwell to begin with, which is really encouraging news in the context of Omicron. We're really encouraged by these results. Friends, why in the world would we be encouraged, let alone satisfied, by these results for tens of millions of Americans who are disabled, who are chronically ill, who are immunocompromised, that they are still at significant risk of death? What in the world are we being fed to think that we ought to be satisfied by this? And what's it going to take for us to stop the party and say, no, no, we are not satisfied and you need to do something about this, Jesus. Now tell us what we can do to help. You see, as Debbie Thomas encourages us, perhaps we too can be like Mary. No matter how profound the scarcity No matter how impossible the situation, we can elbow our way in, pull Jesus aside, ask earnestly for help, and ready ourselves for action. We can tell God hard truths even when other people are celebrating. We can keep human need squarely before our eyes, even and especially when denial, apathy, or distraction are the easier options. And finally, we can invite others to follow the miraculous winemaker we have come to know and trust. And so, friends, may we have the courage to be like Martins and Marys in a world that seems far too easily pleased with what they are being served. And may we never give in to the seduction of satisfaction until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. May it be so, church. Amen.